you would, go ahead and turn in your Bible to John chapter 15. We're starting a new series today called Simplify. I don't know if you've noticed, as I have, that life tends to drift toward complexity. Let me give you an easy example. Just think about your Christmas decorations. I mean, those little things will grow like demons in the closet, and you pull that stuff out every year. How many of you remember, you know, Christmas tree tinsel? Remember that little goofy-looking silver stringy stuff that was supposed to look like icicles that looked like glitter had grown? Christmas decorations will take your house over if you don't keep them in check. I don't even want to ask this morning how many of you haven't put your decorations up yet. It's not confession time. I won't even ask. You know who you are. Life tends to drift toward complexity. It takes a lot of hard work to keep things simple. Uh, I, start, I was going to use this illustration. I'm going to use this illustration this morning. But I realized that there's probably several people, a growing number of people here, who don't even know what I'm talking about. I, I, I was sharing an example the other day from a TV show. And I said, I was with some, I was with some people... You know, maybe 19 or 20 or 21. I said, hey, it's like you remember that show Alice, right? How do you remember that show Alice? Thank you. I love you. And they looked at me and said, what? You know, the lady who was single with her son who was just driving in the station wagon who just landed at this restaurant and, you know, stayed for a while. And then the show ran eight seasons or something and. And they said, no. So look, I wanted to use the example from I Love Lucy. And I know, you know, I think this is just going to happen more and more often to me as uh, from here on out. But do you remember one of the most classic scenes in all of television history? It's when Lucy decides she wants to get a job and she goes down to the factory and, and cherries are coming down the... Con- help me, somebody. Cherries are going down the conveyor belt. And she's doing whatever she's supposed to be doing with a package or something. And then they just keep coming down and coming down and coming down. And they're overwhelming her. So she starts stuffing them in her clothes and in her pocket and her hat. And then starts eating them. Remember her jaws sticking out? Just going, go, 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 go. And I thought, you know what? I, I think sometimes that's the way life feels for us. More things are coming down the belt than we can deal with. And I think one of the mistakes that we make is we believe that it's our job to pick up everything that comes down the line. And maybe it's not. Do you know that there there will be more, more books and articles published in one day than you and I can comfortably read in a lifetime? So by the time the day's over today, more books and articles will have been printed than you and I can comfortably read in a lifetime. How will you and I decide what not to read? Do you know that every hour, every hour, counting all forms of media, more information is generated than you and I can take in the rest of our life? And for some reason... You chose to take in this information this hour. Not because there wasn't any more. By the time this service is over, there will be more information generated than you and I could take in in a lifetime. 
by, by bedtime tonight, ten lifetimes worth of information will have been produced. There's more information in one issue of the Sunday New York Times than our grandfather would have had access to in his entire lifetime. And papers are being printed by, by the millions. If you were to go to a fifth-story office building and look out the window, and you were to look directly across the top of a stack of papers that went from the fifth-story window to the ground, you would be looking at a stack of papers about 55 feet tall that weighed about 700 pounds, and that would be the same amount of paper that the average American consumes every year. Life is complicated and it's getting worse. Have you noticed? Overwhelmed with information, overwhelmed with choices. We humans have a knack for making things complicated. Well, things haven't, things haven't changed in that way in human nature. But things have changed in the volume. Things are getting more complicated and more complicated and more complicated. In, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus encountered a group of people who were good at this. Now, you remember the Old Testament, God created Ten Commandments. By the time the Pharisees got done with those Ten Commandments, they had turned them into 613 commandments. 613 commandments. And that's not the end of it. Let me tell you why they chose the number 613. They chose the number 613 because that's the same number of, of symbols or letters contained in the Ten Commandments. There are 613 letters in the Ten Commandments. So they thought if we have one rule for every letter that's in the Ten Commandments, somehow, somehow that'll, that'll be good. Then they divided the list of 613 commandments into two lists. 248 of them were, were do this commandments. They were affirmative commandments. These are the things that you should do. To, they picked 248 because according to their knowledge, that was how many parts there were to the human body. And somehow they thought that was cool. You think horoscopes are bad. These guys were off the chart. I mean, fortune cookies got nothing on these guys. One for every part of the human body. And then the other 365 remaining don't do this commands had one for every day of the calendar year. They further divided the list into binding and non-binding commands and they spent most of their life debating on whether the divisions were right or not. That's what they had become legal experts in. Have we divided these right? Is this the right number? So when they encountered Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, and they asked him the question, which is the greatest commandment, it was a loaded question. They had all that stuff running in the background that informed the question that they asked him. Which what they meant to do was to invite Jesus into this high-octane debate over what was the most important law, what was the most important division, what was the most important ranking. They were trying to test his wisdom. So they chose the smartest guy they had, you know, the leader of their debate team, who was a lawyer. And the one who, the one who they thought would best take Jesus on. 
And they wanted to know, out of these 613 laws, which one's the most important? And Jesus absolutely stumped them. And he didn't stump them because of his sophistication. He stumped them because of his simplicity. He said, the greatest law is that you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you love your neighbors yourself. And when he said that, they had nowhere else to go. He took a very complex religious system filled with do's and don'ts and laws and numbers that align to other things and simplified it into love God and love your neighbor. You know, maybe you've heard part of that. Maybe you've heard that the Pharisees tended to overdo and... Maybe you thought like I have, I am so glad that we don't live back then where people tended to really overcomplicate things like that. I am so glad I don't live then. So I thought, I wonder how many American laws there are. I'm not sure. I wonder how the American legal system stacks up to the Pharisees. So we did a little research. <laughs> Do you know how many laws there are in America? <laughs> Do you? I've got news for you. Neither does anybody else. <laughs> because we searched and we looked. And it, the general consensus through everything we can find seems to be nobody knows. There's too many to count. So you've got this legal monstrosity of books and books and books and books filled with laws and codes and rules. There are a few things that we did find out, though. In 2002, there were 19,300 cities, all of which who had the authority to make their own laws. So if each city only made one law, we at least have 19,300. Pharisees look like kindergartners now. 19,300. In 1998, 13 years ago, back when Alice reruns were on, 200, 201 volumes of the Federal Code. The Federal Code had 201 volumes, which was filled with 135,000 pages of Federal Code. Let, let, let me describe for you what 135,000 pages of federal code might look like. If you were to put those books on a shelf side by side, you would need a bookshelf 19 feet long to hold it. And the Pharisees look like girls now. 19 feet long. Now here's what's more interesting. In 1970, there were 55,000 pages. So in 28 years, we added 80,000 pages to the federal code. Things, just hold on to your seat and put your seatbelt on because things are getting complicated. They are getting more complicated and I don't have to tell you that and these numbers don't change anything that you already know. 
You can feel it. In 2009, 4,452 federal codes were broken. I don't know how many times each one was broken, but that variety was broken. The question is, how many of those codes, how many of those books, how many of those laws, how many of those rules would have been completely unnecessary if we were to have followed God's summary two commandments of love God and love your neighbor? God tends to, Jesus tends to walk into the complexity of humanity and he simplifies it. God makes things simple. In this series, we're going to be looking at the result of simplifying your life and weeding out the things that are holding you back. So today's message, if you're taking notes, you just want to jot this down. If I'm going to, if I'm going to focus you somewhere, the, the message today is simplify to magnify. Simpli- you, know what, you know what magnify means? You know what a magnifying glass does? A magnifying glass allows you to zoom in on something that you're trying to see and it makes it bigger and it makes it clearer and it makes it look like it's closer. Simplify to magnify. What if part of the life that you've always wanted to live is attainable if you simplify your life? Now think about the people who've made the biggest impact on us. Think about the variety of things that you know them for. What do you know Tiger Woods for? Golf. I have no idea what else he does. Well. I'm sorry. That's another series. I have no idea what he does that positively contributes to society. Michael Jordan, basketball, Beethoven, music, Martin Luther King Jr., civil rights, Jay Leno, comedy, Michael Phelps, swimming, Billy Graham, preaching, evangelism, crusades, Dr. James Dobson, family. The people who have made the biggest impact on us and around us are the ones that have simplified their lives and lined all their energy up behind one thing. And they have said, this is what I was put on earth to do. And what we don't, what we see is what they do. What we don't see are the hundreds of things they choose not to do so they can do that. And that's what simplify means. The problem is we've become a society in American life of buffet. The more the variety, the better. We want a little bit of everything, but not a lot of anything. There are more options before us than we've ever had. So the result is we have, been, we have created a culture that has a short attention span and doesn't have the ability to focus in on the things that God has put in front of us to, to focus in on. American culture is the quintessential trade-off of width for depth. We're a mile wide. We have so many options and we've lived under the myth for so long that we can have them all. And you know why we live under the myth that we can have them all? Because the TV tells us. The commercial tells us. Have it your way. You deserve a break. Come and get this. You, you, you've worked hard. You own it. You deserve it. You have it. It's attainable. 
Every salesman in America has a simple plan you can follow to get everything you want, except you can't get everything you want. Adam and Eve tried it, and it didn't work out so well. And actually, God gave them everything but one thing, and it killed them. They had to have that one thing he said don't have. Jesus is actually the only person that's ever lived who could have had everything. And he chose not to. But it tells you a lot, doesn't it? He decided not to. When capitalism reaches its full peak, it derails at the point that the, the structure of our country has begun to bend under the weight of so many options and so much variety and so many things that you can do do you know in America we spend more money on on entertainment and sporting events than the national economy of most countries of the world? Most nations of the world. There's always something else to do. There's always somewhere else to go. We can always find something on TV, day or night. We can always watch. We can always zoom in on the internet. We can always find somebody on Facebook. We can always start a new hobby. We can always take up a part-time job. There's always somebody to, to talk to. There's always a new place to go. It feels like to me that the American culture and the church culture and many of the individuals that I've ta- talked to are just stuck. Ground down under the weight of so much stuff that we just can't bust loose from, from, the, from the crystallization around us and advance into the place that God's calling us to go. How do you get there? Too many optional distractions to focus on the most important things. Do you, you know what a flood is, don't you? A flood is a river that didn't know where to go. And to me, that's the picture of American culture. A flood. Couldn't find its banks. Couldn't find the boundaries. Couldn't find the borders. To live effectively, you've got to simplify to magnify. You have to do less if you want to grow more. Now, that seems counterintuitive. It seems like if I want to grow more, I've got to do more. Oddly, the first step in growth is to take something away. It's to cut back on something. Do you know some of the most important decisions that I've ever made in my life, that I've ever made for our family, that I've ever made in the churches that I've been in? It's not what we were going to do, but what we weren't going to do. We're not going to do this. Why? Because it's going to distract, and it's going to, it's going to diffuse, and it's going to divert, and it's going to take away from the things that we know that we're about. Because the roles have reversed. In the culture that we live in, you are overwhelmed with information and options. And I, don't, I can't even tell you, give you a foggy idea, anything that's written on any of this stuff. Might as well be Chinese. But this, I think if we could see in the spirit realm what our lives look like, I think a lot of times they look like this. Just stuff. And I think our tendency is we tend to jump from one of those to another, to another, to another, to another, because we haven't found our identity in Christ, and we haven't yet understood what He made us for, and we haven't yet been released from either the lust of the options or the pressure. 
And so we just jump around. It's okay to try a lot of things, but somewhere in life you've got to figure out what God made you about and root in it. Sit in it, establish in it, and run in it. Say, look, this is my deal. I, I predict that our lives, when they are over, will be more about what we didn't do than what we did do because of the culture we live in. The options are just absolutely unfathomable and unlimited. Simplify to magnify. John chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. I want to ask uh, our musicians to come. I want to end with this verse this morning. Man, the Lord really laid this verse on my heart uh, for our staff. And in January, we spent about three weeks in staff devotions on this one passage. And there's so much here. But I want to really zero in on one part. Verse 1 and 2. Jesus is speaking. Let me give you the context. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. Uh, Judas has betrayed him. Uh, They are uh, winding the night down. Uh, Jesus is hours away from his own crucifixion. And he is sharing the things with those disciples that are most important to him. And in that conversation, this dialogue comes. And Jesus says to them, I am the true vine. And my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I'm the vine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch that produces no fruit. And he prunes the branches that produce fruit. You know, I, I, I've only played around with gardening a little bit. And I don't know a lot about it. <laughs> but I do know the difference in cutting off something dead and cutting off something that's living. Cutting off something that's dead is one thing. Cutting off something that's alive is another thing. But Jesus says his father's the gardener who cuts off the things that aren't producing fruit and cuts back the things that are. Now, we don't have time to do it all, but as we in staff devotions talk through this verse, it seemed clear to us that one of the major misconceptions about this verse is to misunderstand the motive of the gardener. If you can understand the motive of the gardener, you won't tend to hear condemnation and cast out into the pit of utter darkness in this verse. What you'll tend to hear is, he's a careful gardener over my life because he loves me. He loves me. He prunes back the things that bear no fruit off of my life Because he knows when he gets rid of those things, I'll be more fruitful. 
He cuts back the things in my life that are already bearing fruit at times because it'll produce more fruit in the next season. And so, anytime you and I simplify, we have the potential of becoming more effective. Anytime we cut back, then we have more time, we have more thought, we have more money, we have more energy, we have more creativity to put behind the things that are left. But there has to come a simplification. You know, usually when you and I are overwhelmed, when you and I feel overwhelmed, it generally comes from one of two places. Either it's because we're trying to focus on too many things. Or we're not focused at all. And that overwhelming sense comes. I, I want to close with this quick story. How many of you know who John Wesley is? Do you know who John Wesley is? He was a, one, of the, one of the famous traveling preachers uh, a couple hundred years ago that traveled the world and pastored and preached and taught. And I thought his summer, the, to summarize his life really impacted me. To talk about a man who had simplified his life so that the things that God had put in his life might be magnified, might grow. You might reach your potential. John Wesley was ordained at 24 years old. He was active in ministry for 64 years. He died at 88 he preached 42,400 sermons. He averaged 15 sermons a week for 54 years. He traveled 290,000 miles. That's equal to circling the earth 20 times. All those miles were by foot or by horseback. When he died, it was said that John Wesley only had only left behind five things. A tattered hat, a worn-out coat, a little cottage, a frail Bible, and the Methodist church. It's a life that had been simplified in order that he might reach his potential. In this series, we're going to talk about many of the complexities of life and how Jesus always counters them with simplicity. I don't believe in a complicated gospel because if it's complicated, too complicated for, for some people to get into, I can't believe in a God that would exclude people by making it too hard. I think we make it too hard. So would you stand with me this morning? I, I, I want to ask you if you can stand and uh, find a place there you're comfortable and just, if you can just get still.
this entire series, as I prepare this, the Lord just seemed to just seemed to speak it in my heart. This entire series, every week, I might not say it this way, but the Holy Spirit's going to be saying it. Every eye closed, every head bowed. What, what is God talking to you about cutting out of your life? What is He saying to you? Every week as we meet, every week as we meet, simplify to magnify, and we'll talk about some other ones. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you that He wants that is not bearing fruit? There are things in our lives that are not bearing spiritual fruit. What are the things He's put His hand on and said, I want to cut those out? And what are the things in our life that are bearing fruit that the Holy Spirit is saying in this season, I want to prune back. I want to cut back so that another wave of fruit might come that'll be stronger than what you've already known. What is he saying? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come, our staff, our, our, our prayer team. And here's what I want you to do this morning. Come on now. Here's what I want you to do this morning. As that thing, maybe you walked in this morning and you already knew what it was. Maybe it's been heavy on your heart and mind for weeks or months. But, but there, there, are, there are three kind of people here. There's something in your life that needs to be cut out. Simplify. So that you might grow. So that you might reach. That's not producing spiritual fruit. It may be sinful. It may just be dead. There's another kind of person here. There's something in your life that's fruitful. But you can sense inside your soul that the Lord has said to you, it's time to prune this back. Now, He does the pruning. I don't do it and you don't do it. He does it. But what you're asking now is, Lord, what are you putting your hand on in my life that you're cutting back so that greater fruit might come? Now, here's the other kind of person that's here. You're here today and you're saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know what that is. I don't know where it is. What I do know is I'm overwhelmed. Let me tell you, as I prayed last night, as clear as I can say this to you, I just... I just heard the Holy Spirit in my soul say, there will be people in that room tomorrow that will be overwhelmed and won't even be able to get into what you're saying, but you stand and tell them, come anyway, I love you. It doesn't matter that you don't know. It doesn't matter that you don't hear. It doesn't matter that you can't understand that. It doesn't matter that you don't know what the areas are. It doesn't matter that you know what to cut off or what to cut. It doesn't matter. What matters is you know where you're at. You know you're overwhelmed and the word of the Lord to you today is He accepts you and He loves you and you come anyway. You come. And God has a, God has a, 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 a blessing for you today. He has an encounter for you today and He wants to speak it to your soul.